You're listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. We started a series last week called Not Yet, and we're going to continue that series uh, this morning. And if you want to get there ahead of me, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 22. We'll be there in just a moment, so I want to give you a second to get there. But let me give you a quick review before we read through our text today. The idea of this series is that we know that there is a purpose in those times of waiting for the blessing. We know that in those moments, sometimes there are are times in our life where we're praying for something, we're expecting something from God, and in that moment, we know that God's answer to us is not a no, but it's just a not yet. We're just kind of in this in-between, and what I have found in my life is those in-between moments usually last longer than I want them to, And they're usually more difficult than I plan on them being, but there is purpose for us in those seasons of waiting. And so this series is kind of uncovering and and looking at what that looks like for our lives and how we can find the purpose in those moments. I know some of you, that's where you are right now. You are in a season of waiting. Some of you are not there right now, but you came out of one. And some of you, you don't even know it, but you're about to head into one. And so this kind of hits us all where we're living. And last week we talked about the Israelites being emancipated from slavery and being on a journey to their promise that God had for them, but God leading them away from that promise before he led them into that promise, into a season in the wilderness of waiting. And we talked about how the the goal, the purpose of that was to teach the Israelites in an hour season of waiting when it feels like sometimes God's got a promise for us, but he's leading us away from it. There are some times when God just wants to teach us some things. And so instead of grumbling and complaining and whining about it like the Israelites did, what if we turned that around and we said, okay, God, in this season of waiting, what is it that you want to teach me? And so today we're going to pick up in Genesis chapter 22. Chronologically, we're going backwards a little bit, but the idea is the same. So Genesis chapter 22, and we're going to start in verse 1. And this is a lengthy passage of scripture that we're going to read, but I feel like it's incredibly important for us to read the entire 18 verses because it provides the context, the tension of the story that we're reading. And so in Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1, it says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. It's a really good start, right? God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, Here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac and he himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, 
your only son. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you that it is powerful, that it is living, that it is active. And so, God, I just pray this morning, Holy Spirit, that you would speak to our hearts. God, that you would challenge us in the ways that only you can, God, and that you would show us your love and your faithfulness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I'll be honest with you, this passage of scripture, this text in Genesis chapter 22, is without a doubt one of the most challenging passages of scripture to reconcile. It's not a casual read, if you want to say it that way. Like, you don't just read through this passage of scripture when you understand the tension and the context. And to be honest, you don't even have to be a parent to really understand the magnitude of this request from God to Abraham. I mean, to sacrifice your child because God told you to do it is kind of the stuff of Netflix crime documentaries, right? Like, that's just kind of crazy. And as difficult as it can be for us to wrap our heads around the fact that this is part of Scripture, that this is something that God asks of Abraham, that to sacrifice his son, that this really is a story about God's love. This, this really, truly is a story about God's grace and about his faithfulness because ultimately this is a story about Jesus. Now, I realize that at a glance, this story also might not feel like it fits a series called Not Yet. If you know anything about Abraham, then you know that the promise that he was given by God was to have a son. And in the passage of scripture that we're reading, we realize that he has already received his promise. He is with his son Isaac in this passage of scripture. And so you might be asking yourself, well, then what about the, the not yet? He's already there. He's already got the promise. And so that might not fit the context of this series. But if you also know anything about Abraham, Abraham took a long journey to get to this place where he was able to receive this promise from God. You ever sing the song when you were in Sunday school, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham? I know I did that more of a slam poetry kind of a thing, but there was more melody to it and all the kids would stand up and work out all the sugar before we tell them about Jesus, right? And so there was this story about Father Abraham having many sons, but before Father Abraham had many sons, he had none. He had no kids, and he was later in life. And so at the age of 75, God comes to Abraham, who is childless, and he promises him, among other amazing things, a child. And not just a child, but a boy, so that the, the lineage could be carried on. And in fact, some of the, the terminology that we read is kind of carried on throughout the Genesis story with Abraham, that God doesn't just promise him some family, he promises him generations and generations to where there would be more people than stars in the sky and more people than sand that you can see on the beach. I mean, God's promise is huge, and so he puts this promise out to Abraham at 75 years of age, well beyond the age that he's thinking that he can have a child. And wouldn't you know it, it doesn't happen right away. God gives him this promise in Genesis chapter 12 at the age of 75, and the promise is not fulfilled in his life the way that God has fulfilled it until age 100. 
At 100 years old, finally, Abraham receives this promise. And so 25 years, 25 years of not yet, 25 years of waiting for the promise. And as Abraham waited for the promise for all of those years, there were these moments in his life that are marked by great faith. Abraham is called the father of faith. So naturally, we would expect for Abraham to act in a way that would be full of faith. And there are those moments. From the very beginning, when we're first introduced to this promise that God gives to Abraham, he shows up, God does, and he says, I'm gonna give you all of these things, I'm gonna bless you in all of these ways, but right now, I want you to leave where you are. I need you to leave the familiarity. I need you to leave the creature comforts. I need, to leave, I need you to leave your home. I want you to pack everything up, and I want you to just move, and I'll tell you where. Is that ambiguous enough for you? Like, hey, God, can you just give me a left or a right? Can you just tell me some direction? Can you give me the first letter of the name that I'm going to? Can you give me something? If, if God would do that to us right now, that as soon as you go home from this service or after you eat lunch or whatever, and God says, listen, I want you to pack up your whole house, get everything ready to go, and just go. Just start, and then I'll reveal to you along the way where you're supposed to go. I will show you the place that you need to go. That is a big ask. But Abraham does it. In this moment of boldness, in this moment of faith, Abraham receives this promise from God and then all of a sudden, based on that promise, he packs everything up and he leaves and he goes to this place that he's never been before, kind of, kind of really starting this journey of faith for Abraham in a strong way, going and stepping out into the unknown. And then there were moments after that over and over and over through the life of Abraham, specifically in this 25-year stretch of waiting where he was kind of marked by this obedience, by this faithfulness, where he would step out and do these things that God was asking him to do, sometimes in varying degrees of difficulty, but often saying yes to the call of God in his life. All the while, he did not have the promise yet. He chose to obey in the not yet. And you see, it makes sense that, that we call him the father of faith because isn't that what faith is? Faith is really just obedience when you don't see the promise. Faith is taking that step in obedience to God, even if that promise is not in view, even if you're not attaining it, even if you're not achieving it, it's saying yes right now in the not yet. It's saying yes, even though I don't see it. It's saying yes, even though I know that I could take this step, but God, I'm gonna need you to show me the next one because I don't see that one or the one after that or the one after that. Faith is really saying yes, it's obeying in those moments where we don't see the promise and we're in the wilderness and we're kind of wandering around waiting for God to show up, waiting for God to give us the next move. Faith is obeying in the, the ways that God calls us out, maybe not to pack up your entire home and head somewhere that you don't know, but it, it comes in those ways that God asks us and draws us out of those places of comfort and familiarity in our own lives to do something bold and do something for him that is what faith is. It's obedience when we don't see the promise. And in those seasons of waiting, when we step out into the unknown, when we worship him, even though we don't see the answers to our prayers being met, if we could bring this home to right here where we are, faith sometimes looks like coming in this room. And when we have an opportunity to sing praise to God and to worship God, even though we don't feel like it, even though every emotion is pushing the opposite direction, even though we are waiting on promises from God to be fulfilled and we're getting tired and it's getting laborious and it's just taking forever, in those moments, that looks like we worship anyway. 
That is obedience. It's an obedience, even though we don't see the promise, I don't know how God is gonna do it. When I raise my hands and when I sing out and when I declare God's faithfulness in these moments, these are some of those moments where we are obedient in those moments that we don't see the promise taking shape yet. And that is what faith is. And so it makes sense that the father of faith, his life is kind of hallmarked with all of these amazing moments of faith. But along that 25-year wait, there were also quite a few moments of doubt for Abraham as well. This is where we start feeling like we're in good company. Because there are often times throughout Abraham's wait, throughout that 25 years of not yet, when he would question God, he would question God to God and say, what is, like, what is in, in my paraphrase, what is taking so long? You've promised me all these things. I don't see it happening. I know how old I am. I know how old my wife is. I realize that childbirth is probably not for real unless you come through, but you haven't come through yet. So God, what is happening? Where are you in all of this? There are those moments of doubt. There are those moments of humanity that shine through him in very obvious ways that help us relate to him in, in, in very obvious ways. But then there's this one moment that kind of marks the, the, the doubt of Abraham that we are still seeing this play out in our culture, in our society today, because they get tired. He and Sarah get tired of waiting for the promise. And they decide that it would be better if they took things into their own hands because they were not getting pregnant and it was just not happening and they were tired of waiting and they were growing weary and so they devised this plan. And so Abraham has a son with Sarah's servant and they think that, okay, well now we can start this plan. This must have been what God meant when he meant that we were going to have a son. But what they found is that they got out ahead of God. Instead of letting God lead them through this period of waiting, they decided to jump out ahead of God and try and pull God into their timetable, into their timeline. You ever feel like you're doing that sometimes in our relationship with God? We feel like the blessing's not coming fast enough. We've been in the not yet long enough. I'm waiting on this promise, God. I'm waiting on this prayer. I'm waiting on this blessing. I'm waiting on this thing. You're taking too long. Hold up, God. Let me help you out. Let me help you, God, because obviously you need it. You're not, you're not moving fast enough. Maybe you don't know how, how fast I move. I'm a fast mover, God, or, or our culture's moving faster, or my life is moving fast. And so God, let me, now, hold on, hold on. Just let me hold the controls for just a minute. I'll get us there faster. I know the way. I know what we need to do. And so instead of following God's lead in those moments of waiting, how often do we turn around and instead of following God, we're trying to pull him along to our timetable. We're trying to pull him along our timeline and trying to convince him that our way is better than his way. Now, we'll never say that out loud, right? But we know that's what we do. We get out ahead of God and we try and pull him along to our way. We try to speed up the process of the promise. You see, that's what Abraham and Sarah were trying to do. They were trying to speed up the process. They were trying to get this thing started because in the natural, it made no sense. But God is not confined to the natural. God works in the supernatural. And so they lost sight of that and they tried to push the timeline and tried to speed up the process of the promise. And over 25 years of Abraham's waiting, we see this kind of dichotomy. We see these moments of huge faith, but then we see these moments of doubt as well. You see, but Romans chapter 4, Paul tells us as, as he's talking about Abraham in, in verse 20, he says, no unbelief made him waver. Again, talking about Abraham, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong in his faith 
as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. And so with all of the benefit of hindsight, Paul, thousands of years later, writes this letter to the Romans, and he says, listen, in all of the things that Abraham went through, in all of the times that he was faithful, listen, even in the times of doubt, he grew in faith because no unbelief made him waver. The the amount of unbelief that he might have had when he said yes to Sarah's plan of having this child with somebody else, the the unbelief that he had in that moment, as, as, as doubtful as that was, was not enough to overcome the faith that God wanted to to create in him and to strengthen in him. And so what we find is that all throughout the story of these 25 years of not yet for Abraham is that he grew strong in his faith. Last week, we talked about how the Israelites were were in that not yet in-between waiting period because God wanted to teach them some things. I believe that that Abraham is in this 25 years of waiting this period in his life, this not yet, because God wanted to grow his faith. And so God grows his faith through this whole thing because God has a way of using our faith-filled victories and our doubtless defeats to strengthen our faith. God does not just use the highlight reel of our life to build our faith. The waiting seasons, the not yet seasons, tend to be really fertile soil for God to strengthen our faith. And while Abraham was waiting, God was working. While Abraham is waiting for this promise, God is working through every decision, through every obedient step, through every yes that Abraham had and every denial and doubt that Abraham went through and battled with, God was moving, God was working while Abraham was waiting. And I can tell you that in our waiting, in your waiting right now, God is working. As the song says, even when we don't see it, you're moving. Even when we don't see it, you're even when we don't understand it, we can't see with our natural eyesight what God is doing in our waiting, God is working. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that in all things, everybody say all things. In all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. In all things, In the highlight moments that we want to post on Instagram because we're full of faith, and then those those dark times that we don't want to share with anybody else, in all of those things and everything in between, in those seasons of waiting, God takes all of those things and he works them together as only God can while we are waiting. He is working and he is working those things out for the good of us who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. And in this season of not yet, God is taking all of these things and working them in Abraham's life. As pastor and author Paul Tripp says, waiting is not just about what I get at the end of the wait, but about who I become as I wait. You see, God is working, God is forming, God is building our faith and our character. And so 25 years of God strengthening Abraham's faith through his obedience, through his mess-ups, through the highlights, through the lowlights. And then finally, Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah is 90 years old. And they have their son. They have their promise. Isaac is here. The days of not yet are in the rearview mirror. His promise is fulfilled. After all of those years of waiting, Isaac is a living and breathing promise fulfilled for Abraham and for Sarah. Abraham could see and touch and hold and change the diaper of his promise finally. It was real. It was here. It was delivered by God to him. And so now he's got his promise. What a moment to celebrate. 
Now, what a life well lived at 100 years old to have this promise finally fulfilled for him. The promise is there. Abraham must have been thinking, man, the struggle is finally over. I'm on the other side of this thing. It's all downhill from here because now Isaac is here. And so I can breathe a little bit because Isaac is the key to the nation. Isaac is the key to the renown. Isaac is the key to the blessing, finally. No more not yet. It's here now. No more not yet for Abraham. No more not yet. The blessing's not ready yet. The promise isn't ready yet. No more not yet. The promise is here now. And I know that some of you, as you sit here right now in your season of waiting, you are longing You are aching for those days. You are are anticipating, you are expecting, you can almost feel it of those days when you're able to hold on to your promise. When God answers that prayer, when God delivers that, when you get out of debt, when you get that job, when that relationship is mended, when you're able to walk in that healing, you can almost taste it and you're ready to say, no more, not yet, finally it's here. And what I would love to tell you is that the story of Abraham ends with him and his wife and his son who's now gonna go on to create nations. They ride off into the sunset cowboy style. Abraham and Sarah would need some help onto the horse, but they would ride off into the sunset. They're up there. They ride off into the sunset and everything is fine. But we know because we read the text, we know that's not what happened. Abraham receives his promise, but it's not all downhill from there. Abraham receives the promise after 25 years of waiting for this, of 25 years of obedience, 25 years of his faith being strengthened, not to ride off into the sunset, but for God to take him through an exercise. Because you see, God had been doing a work in Abraham's life and in Abraham's faith that needed to be revealed. God had been strengthening his faith for 25 years, and it's not that God needed to see it, it's that he needed Abraham to see the faith. He needed Abraham to know how far he had come in these 25 years. He needed Abraham to see how how far God had brought him, and this is where our story gets a little bumpy. This is where it starts to get a little rough to reconcile, as we talked about at the very beginning, because after the relief of the fulfillment of the, pro- the, the promise, there comes a test. Now, nobody likes to be tested, but this is how God chooses to lead Abraham in this moment, and so he's, he's going into this season, to this moment of a test, and the test in verse 2, as we see, is that God said, take your son your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain. I will show you. I will show you, excuse me, is an important part of this passage of scripture because there's another kind of nuanced time that God reveals himself in, in these words of I will show you. And so in Genesis chapter 12, when God shows up to Moses at 75 years of age and asks him to pack up his whole life and move, he asks him to move to a place that he will show him. Same terminology, same idea here. I'm not going to show you where it is. I just need you to take a step of faith. And so God now is using some similar terminology and he's saying, listen, I want you to take your son, your only son, in case there's any issue, the name is Isaac, take Isaac and I want you to sacrifice him And I want you to go to this place and I'm going to show you, I will show you where to go. Now, although the phrasing is similar, the surroundings and the context could not be any more different. 
Because the first time in Genesis 12 when God shows up and he calls Abraham to move and he says, I want you to go to the place I'll show you, Abraham was following the promise. Abraham had already been given the promise, been given the, the, the guarantee from God, if you do these things, I will bless you. And so Abraham strikes out into the I will show you with his eyes on the prize of the promise. But now Abraham shows up and he goes to the mountain in a very different context because he's holding on to his promise as he's going. There's more at stake. The game has changed, so to speak. And then God asks him to sacrifice his promise. The one thing that Abraham had waited for for so long, the one thing that he walked away from everything else for, the one thing that at one time he desired over every other thing. Now, let me be honest with you and and just be very transparent, and I think most of us in this room would probably relate to this. Let's put ourselves in in that spot for just a moment. Let's put ourselves in the shoes of Abraham for just a second. If God showed up and asked that after everything we had been through in all of the context of this story, I'll be honest, my answer would have been a lot different because Abraham just says, yes, but I've got questions. Can I just say that? I need some clarification. I'm gonna ask some clarifying questions, right? So, okay, so you're saying this. I hear you saying this. Let me repeat this back to you so that you hear me say what I think you just said so that I know that you're really saying this to me, right? I I would employ some techniques to really understand and drill down and get to to the heart of this. Be like, God, are you sure this is really what you want to do? You sure you know what you're asking to do? I personally would probably go into that, you know, kind of like the begging, negotiating style, like, hey, God, I hear you say this, but what if instead, hear me out, right, we do this instead, and we can, we can get this whole situation done a different way. Like, what, what if we, we uh, you know, didn't do it this way, but we did it my way instead? This is, you know, my idea. Do you know what you're asking, God? Do you, do you remember what we've been through? Do you, do you remember how hard those 25 years were where I was waiting on the promise? Do you remember all the moments of faith? Do you remember all of that, God? Or maybe you would just resort to sometimes what my kids do and they say, well, you promised, right? But God, you promised. You can't do this because you promised. This is your promise, but that is not the reaction that we get. There is no recoil, There is no negotiation. Abraham obeys. That's it. God speaks, and in the next verse, Abraham is traveling. God says to do this, and Abraham obeys. How? How how could Abraham have entertained even the thought of sacrificing Isaac? There are some theologians that estimate that Isaac would have been about 15 years old at this time, so a teenager, so I kind of guess it makes a little sense, but... But no, for real, like what in the world, how, how does Abraham get to this place where he says yes in light of this? And the, he, the author of Hebrews kind of gives us a little bit more insight, again, with some hindsight as a benefit. In Hebrews 11 and verse 17, it says, by faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice, who he had embraced the promises that was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned, verse 19, Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. So in a manner of speaking, he did not receive Isaac back from, or he did receive Isaac back from death. 
Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Abraham's faith at this point, because he had been through this 25-year season of waiting where his faith was being strengthened, Abraham's faith was so strengthened to the point that his assumption was resurrection. That's what he just assumed. He had God, he'd seen God do so many things that he just assumed that if he brought Isaac up that mountain and went through with what it was that God was asking him to go through with, that God would immediately resurrect his son. That was the amount of faith that Abraham had. He just assumed that that was going to happen. There wasn't a question of how. Abraham just knew at some way, in some point, that is what God was going to do. We get a little bit of a Another glimpse into the strength of Abraham's faith in this passage of scripture in Genesis 22 and five when he's talking to his servants and he tells them as they're on their journey, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. There is this faith-laden statement that Abraham makes to these two servants saying, listen, I understand what God has asked of me. He's not naive. He doesn't there's no disconnect here. He understands that God's call on his life is for him and his son to go up the mountain, for him to put the knife to his son, for him to sacrifice his son. And so if at any moment Abraham thought that God wasn't going to come through, this conversation looks a lot different, doesn't it? We will go up to the mountain to worship and I will return to you. Now we will return to you. He was fully confident that there were gonna be two people walking up that mountain and that there were gonna be two people walking back down that mountain because Abraham had seen God's faithfulness way too many times to wonder if God could do it again. His faith had been strengthened over those 25 years of not yet, and he was faithful in this moment as well. He wasn't concerned about the logistics. He wasn't concerned about how God was gonna do it. He just chose to say yes to God because he had seen God do amazing, miraculous things time and time again, and his faith had been strengthened over that season of not yet. He wasn't sitting there this time trying to tell God, hey, this is how you should do it. He tried that before, you remember? It did not go well when he tried to take God on his timeline. And so he doesn't try and negotiate. He doesn't try and back God down. He doesn't try and change God's mind. He's tried that before and it did not go well. And so he just chooses to obey. Because the reality is, is that he was not holding on to a particular outcome. He was holding on to God at this point in his life. He was not depending on a promise. He was depending on the promiser. And that's the shift that happens in 25 years of Abraham's life. That's the shift that takes place. Not only in that 25 years is Abraham's faith strengthened, but his faith starts to shift from the promise to the one who gave him the promise. You see, in Genesis chapter 12, when God shows up and calls Abraham the first time, Abraham might have left his home country because of what God could do for him. But when we see Abraham in Genesis chapter 22 and God calls him to do something, he's saying yes and going up that mountain because he knows who God is now. It's not about what God can provide for him. It's not about what God can do for him. He knows who God is because his faith was strengthened over those 25 years of waiting. All of those years, faithfulness, all of those years while God was strengthening Abraham's faith, it was for this moment right here. You see, God did not waste any of that waiting that Abraham went through. God did not waste a second of it. God did not waste a minute of it. And God does not waste the waiting that we find ourselves in right now. 
If you are in that season right now and you are in a not yet, if you are waiting for your promise to be fulfilled, God will not waste that waiting for you in your life. He used that season. He uses those seasons in our life to form us and to shape us and to strengthen our faith and to give us opportunities to say yes to him in smaller things so that we can say yes to him and be ready to say those in the bigger things. Because the reality was is that it wasn't Isaac's life that God wanted. It was Abraham's heart from the beginning. It was not about the sacrifice itself. It was about the heart behind it. He needed to know that Abraham was willing. He needed Abraham to know that Abraham was willing. And that's what he wants from me. And that's what he wants from you as well. You see, God wants our hearts so much to make sure that when we receive those promises that we're waiting for, that we will steward them well to make sure that those promises that we receive that are from God don't become God in our life, that they don't become more important than God because God is a jealous God. He is jealous for our worship. He is jealous for our affection. He is jealous for us. And God wants our faith to be in him and not in the promise that he can provide. And maybe, just maybe, the the promise that, that you're waiting on right now, it's taking longer than you'd like, and maybe that's because God is taking you through a season of waiting, a season of not yet, where he is shifting your faith away from what he can do for you and over to who he is. What if that's what's happening? What if every yes that you say right now in the unknown is forming you? What if every yes that you say in this unknown is strengthening your faith so that you can put your faith in the promise-er and not in the promise? That's the story. That, that's what's highlighted in the story of Abraham being willing to sacrifice Isaac. He was willing to hand the promise back to God. He trusted and believed that God would come through somehow, some way, because he knew over 25 years, a quarter of a century of God's faithfulness, that God was not going to drop him off there, that God was not going to let up there. And when we live like that, God can trust us with those promises, because we will not make those promises our God. We will make sure that God remains the one true God in our lives. As we wrap up this morning, There are so many parallels in this story to Jesus and and God the Father. In fact, if you can read through the entire Old Testament, the, the entire Old Testament and New Testament for that fact, everything points to Jesus. Everything points to Jesus, all the way through the Old Testament. And, and it does that in a few different ways. There, there's one way in the Old Testament, especially where there's prophecy, where there is someone that is a spokesperson for God and he is declaring the things that are going to come. And so people, prophets like Isaiah, where he's telling us specifically, telling those people then specifically what the Messiah is going to be like, where he's going to come from, all of those things. And there are hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of prophecies that were made in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in Jesus' birth death, and resurrection. And so that's one direct way that the Old Testament points us to Jesus, but the other way is through something that some theologians call shadows. You see, it makes sense when you think about it because a shadow is not of any substance. A shadow is literally just something that's being cast from something of substance. And so through these shadows in the Old Testament, essentially what it is is you're not getting the entire story. You're not getting the whole picture of Jesus, but it is a shadow of what Jesus is. It's a shadow of the character of God. It's a shadow of the character of Jesus. And this in Genesis chapter 22 is full of these shadows. It is full of these parallels between Abraham, Isaac's father, and God, 
Jesus' father, and Isaac being Jesus. It's, it's, it's all through here. It's laden through there. Literally, books have been written about this one passage of Scripture detailing all of the parallels that link this passage of Scripture to the New Testament, specifically to Jesus. All the way down to Isaac carrying the wood up the mountain for his own sacrifice, connecting that to Jesus carrying the implement of his death, the cross, on the way to his sacrifice as well. Isaac willingly laying down his life, pointing to Jesus laying down his life willingly for me and for you. That Abraham loved his son so much, but that he was willing to give him up because of his love for God. And similarly, God the Father loved his son, but he gave his son up because of his love for us. And scholars and theologians We'll debate some, but there is a general consensus that the mountain where God led Abraham to sacrifice Isaac is the same exact location that some 1,800 years later, Jesus would hang on a cross at what would then be called Golgotha or Calvary. There is this belief among theologians and historians that that exact place that God led Abraham to that he was going to show him when they got to the place Abraham and Isaac go up the mountain and in this moment where Abraham is willing to sacrifice everything that had been promised to him. In this moment where that that tension reaches the climax and the the ram is caught in the thicket and there is a sacrificial offering instead of him offering his son. And then after that moment, there is this exchange where God speaks directly to Abraham once more, reiterating and expounding upon the blessings that he already had and saying that from this place, this is a place of blessing. And through your bloodline, Abraham, through Isaac, who you were willing to sacrifice for me, one day, not next generation, not next generation, but at some point, this bloodline is going to bless the entire world. How amazing is it that God said that to Abraham while Abraham is probably standing on the spot where Jesus gave his life for me and you? where that blessing was worldwide, where that blessing changed everything, where that blessing is transformative, the power of Christ is transformative in our lives and in our hearts. You see, in that moment, everything in this story, yeah, it's about Abraham's faithfulness. Yeah, it's about Isaac's willingness. All of those things are true, but really what it's about, it's about Jesus. Because this whole story parallels and points to Jesus. But think with me just for a moment of the alternative of Abraham saying yes in this moment. Think about when God comes to Abraham and says, I'm gonna lead you to sacrifice your son on this mountain. And Abraham says, no thanks. I'm done with this. I'm holding on to him. You're not gonna have him. I'm keeping him. Would have dug his heels in. That story would not have pointed to Jesus. That story would have pointed to rebellion. And we've got way too many examples of that. But because Abraham chose to say yes, because Abraham chose obedience, because Abraham chose to be formed by God and for his faith to be strengthened over that period of waiting, him saying yes to God in this points generations and generations and generations to Jesus. Because isn't that the point of the blessing? The point of the blessing, the point of the promise in our lives is to point to Jesus. And when we say yes to God in those moments and in those seasons where it's not yet, and when we are faithful and allow God to to strengthen that faith, when we say yes to God, he will allow those promises to point to Jesus. In that relationship that you are praying and begging God that would be healed, be reunited, that prodigal would come home, when that happens, you have that opportunity to steward that promise that God gives you 
to show other people Jesus. We wanna get really real in our marriages. Our marriages are a blessing. Our marriages are a gift. Guys, say that to your wife today. You are a gift. You are a blessing. Say it to that at some point. Don't say it right now. You don't get points for that. Say it later after they forgot about it. That blessing, it's, it's not ours. That, that marriage, that spouse is no more ours than Isaac belonged to Abraham. But when we choose to love our spouse well, when we choose to steward that gift that's not really ours anyway, when we choose to steward that well, what do people see in that relationship? They see Jesus. They see the church, as Paul writes about. How about with our kids? What about in, as parents? When we parent our kids well, when we love our kids, when we do what's best for them in light of God's word in our homes and we lead our homes that way, people will see Jesus through that promise. Those kids aren't ours. We dedicated them. We got a flower in a book somewhere that's saying that, yeah, we dedicated them. We gave them to God because they don't belong to us anyway. But when we choose to steward that gift and say yes to God, then people see Jesus through that relationship. What about that promotion that you want? What about that, that financial blessing, the possessions that you really are desiring in your life? When we walk into those blessings, are we willing to allow Jesus to be seen through those because we're willing to use them and steward them the way that God is calling us to steward them? That prayer that you're waiting to be answered, are you willing to steward the answer to that gift or to that prayer, that promise? Are you willing to steward it? Because there is a fine line between ownership and stewardship. And so many times when God comes through with a blessing for us, we are tempted to hold on really tight and never let go. But God's entire intent and his design is for us to use that promise to highlight the grace of God, to highlight the love of Jesus. And so we hold on loosely because we don't really own it in the first place. Nothing that we see is really ours. God allows us to have it to steward for his kingdom. And so when we say yes to God, when we allow in those not yet moments in our life for our, our faith to be strengthened, then when we get into those opportunities where we receive the promise, we have that choice to steward it well, to allow that purpose of the promise to point to Jesus. So in this season of waiting for you, where whatever you're waiting on, whatever that next promise is, my prayer is that you would allow your faith to grow, that you would not grow weary in well-doing, that you would realize and recognize that every yes right now is faith in obedience for a promise that maybe we don't see, maybe we have not attained yet, but it's coming. And when we're able to hold on to that promise that we hold on loosely, that we steward that promise well because the point of that promise is so that people will see Jesus. Thanks for listening to the Destiny Community Church Podcast. To learn more about DCC, including our service times and location, visit us at destinycommunitychurch.org.